This is the John Muzo Leadership Podcast. Before we get started today, I have an extremely important announcement to share with you. Opening this fall is the Waymaker School of Ministry here at Victory. It's a school of ministry designed for those who believe they have a vocational calling upon their life to serve God in ministry. And not just a pulpit ministry, not just pastoral, but also all the supportive ministries. It's going to be an incredible place to send students, those young adults, somewhere between 18 and 29, that have a calling upon their life. We're not only going to give them a sound theological education, but we are going to train them in doing ministry with a mindset to multiply, to help them break the lids that so many of us had to overcome once we got started. We want to train them that way and to set them out to fulfill the will of God in their life. Details are available on our website, which is myvfc.info. Click on the Waymaker link and uh, applications are available, and we encourage you to send those students that you believe have a call upon their life as uh, we really believe God wants to do something amazing in their life. Today, I want to talk to you about a message I heard a while back that such had a profound impact on my life. It was spoken by Rick Renner, and I've titled it Leaving Corinth, when Paul left Corinth to go to the next place in his ministry. And let me just take you to a few scriptures, and I want to just take this from a leadership perspective of the grace of God upon your life and what we are supposed to be doing with it. In Titus 2.11, the scripture tells us the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Ephesians 4.7 tells us to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That means for each one of us, every one of us in the body of Christ, there has been a grace deposit in our life. That's from those with a vocational call of ministry all the way down to those who serve what we would call in a volunteer capacity in the body of Christ. Now, as a, as, a, as a leader, I want to talk to you about an aspect of grace that was so informative to me, and it really, really encouraged me and gave me great, great strength to step into the things God's called us to do as a church, for me to do in my ministry, apart from even the calling of a pastor. 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said this, According to the grace of God that was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds upon it. But let each one take heed how he builds upon it. Paul attributed his ability to be a wise master builder to the grace of God that was upon his life. In fact, Paul was an apostle. He went nowhere where the gospel had been preached, and so he literally laid the foundation of, of, of the church across the, the, the known world to him. He brought the gospel in places where it had never been. Now, the interesting thing, when it says according to, it's the Greek word kata, K-A-T-A, and that word means this, to be subjugated by, to be dominated by. So when you read it that way, it has an enormous impact on the way you do your ministry, the way you lead in whatever sphere you lead in. He said this, I have been subjugated or dominated by the grace of God in my life that was given to me. We could say it this way, and it enabled me to be the wise master builder that I am in the kingdom. Now, when you go back to Ephesians 4, 7, each one of us have been given a grace. Paul was not unique. You have a grace. I have a grace deposit. 
And we know what that grace deposit defined is. It is divine ability to do what you cannot do without it. Without his grace, you are not sufficient in what you're called to do. In fact, we know this from Paul's issues in his life with the persecution and the thorn in his flesh of constantly being assaulted because of his ministry of the gospel. We find that all that happened in Paul's life, he cried out and said, God, please make all this mess around me stop. I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer. I have. And he said, Lord, if this stuff could just stop, this would be so much easier. I could do so much more for you. And yet God three times said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfected in your weakness. My strength is actually perfected in your human weakness. When you're subjugated by the grace of God, something amazing happens. Your weakness gets swallowed up by a greater strength. But the question that we have to ask is, are we being subjugated or dominated by his grace in our life? Or are we being subjugated or dominated by other things? We know in the general sense, so many of God's people have been subjugated and dominated by the culture rather than to God. The culture defines how they live, how they spend their money. It defines how they parent, how they, how they conduct their relationships, their marriages. It is so easy, so easy to let the world squeeze you into its mold, as Romans tells us. We could be subjugated by circumstances. You could be subjugated by the things around you the next step you feel you're supposed to take in your ministry. And yet, down deep in your soul, you know you're called to take that step. But everything around you is screaming that it's impossible. When you're subjugated by the grace of God, the walls of impossibility no longer are your influence. The walls of impossibility no longer is what you give deference to. The walls of impossibility you actually look at and say, as I am subjugated and dominated by the grace of God, when I yield to that grace, my circumstances will be as well. I'll tell you one of the hardest is when we've been subjugated and dominated by our past. The things that we've done that we shouldn't have done, that we should have done, all the should-haves, would-haves, could-haves, all the regrets that try to attach themselves to you, that tell you you're not enough, You'll never be enough. And when your circumstances, when your past, when your own thought life produces that, when the enemy brings thoughts, just stop right there and say, you're absolutely right. I'm not enough. I am weak in and apart from him. But because in him I live, in him I move, in him I have my being, I have a grace deposit. And in my weakness, his strength is made known. His grace is my only sufficiency. A perfect example of, of subjugation would be children that run the house. We've often seen, and it's very unhealthy, when children are the dominant ones in the home. The parents have been subjugated by their children. Now, you could see how that could very easily apply in any area of our life. But Paul said something that denoted a surrender. He said, I have chosen to be subjugated to this grace. And he's, in a sense, he's saying we should take heed to that grace and let it have its full work in our life. I know in my own ministry, and I've been in ministry now 35-plus years, this fall we will have pastored this church 25 years founding it. And I can't even remember 
how many times impossible was stamped right in front of us. And yet, I go back to an experience that I had when Michelle and I just got married, and we were in South Africa, kind of a slash ministry trip honeymoon, and it was not a lot of either. But that's another story for another day when when we maybe talk about marriage and relationships. Do not bring your new bride to a nation that's in a civil war. Just a thought. But the reality of it was this. We were invited to have lunch with a pastor in South Africa, uh, a a man named Ray McCauley, who had had one of the most profound impacts in that nation as as a, as a, as a, a faith leader and as his church. It was it was it was just overwhelming. I can't even exaggerate the impact that church had in that nation. Even at that time, Ray was being used in the political environment to bring peace and reconciliation because when we were there, apartheid was still in its last throes of life. Well, we went to have lunch with Ray, and someone else had set it up. And actually, he was just being polite. We were just kids in our 20s. And we got there, and we were so nervous to go meet with him that we were just so overwhelmed by it that I remember we, we took a cab from our hotel that we were staying, and the cab driver was completely drunk, so much so that 35, 45 miles an hour, he would go up on the sidewalks. That's how drunk he was. I was so intimidated to be late for this meeting, quote, with this important man, that I risked my life and, and Michelle's life. I, instead of just saying, hey, let's get, let me out of the car, there were no cell phones, there were no and you, I, I, we would have missed the meeting. But I was so afraid that if I missed this meeting with this, quote, important man, that I was willing to risk our lives. Now, that's not a good thing. And I've learned something through life. There are no great men. There are no great women. There's only a great God. And anytime you think someone is great, then you, by definition, have to think others are small. Someone must be then greater than me or lesser than me. God's grace levels the playing ground. No one is greater than you, and no one is lesser than you. God's grace on your life for wherever you are. It may not be in a metropolitan area like Johannesburg, South Africa. It may not be where we are in Cranberry Township, which is more populated than certainly rural areas. Maybe you're in a rural area where your population base isn't that high. Don't ever let your surroundings define your call. Be subjugated by the grace of God. Well, while we were there having after lunch, one of his associate pastors took us on a tour of the church. They brought us into this incredible sanctuary. At that time, I think it's at 5,500 people. And as we were walking through that auditorium, just Michelle and I and the associate pastor, the Holy Spirit spoke something so clearly to me. It was like somebody talked to me. And he said, I will use you to build something like this someday. And I was standing off to my side, and I kind of laughed out loud. And I was so kind of overwhelmed and embarrassed by it that I didn't even tell Michelle because I thought, I, I, I feel uncomfortable even being here, let alone ever being used to lead something like this. It's impossible. But as the years went by, I had to choose to begin to yield to the grace on my life, not my limits, not my background. You see, I, I'm a blue-collar kid. I grew up with a steel mill mentality. Now, I was taught to work hard, and I, I was taught to have an incredible work ethic. But what I was never taught to do was to lead. What I was never taught to do was to think beyond your instructions. And I had no preparation for leading other people in the body of Christ. And I can remember when 
that grace in my life began to move me into different territories, and I was completely unqualified for every one of them, and I felt unqualified. And to be really honest, I would, that's how I prayed. I said, Lord, why? I, there's no way I can do this. Now, knowing what I know now, looking back, it's actually my weaknesses and the willingness to depend upon the grace of God that actually qualified me. The thing that I think set us apart of taking step after step was that we didn't ignore our inadequacies. In fact, we boasted in them before God. But at the end of it, we chose to, and these are the words I would use, Father, I submit myself to your call. I know this is impossible, and I feel so inadequate. But I ask you, just help me. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to come in. I don't know how to go out. I don't even know where to start. But I believe you've called me to do this. And I will not, in pride, lift myself and my feelings above your call. Now, when I look back at that, it was being subjugated by the grace of God, being dominated by it. And it brought me into a, a very simple and, and aggressive and a bold kind of faith where you begin to look to God and not just yourself. Paul had this happen to him again and again. Let me give you a, just a, a bit of a timeline of what happened in Paul's life. Paul was in Corinth, thus the, the title of this, Leaving Corinth. He was in Corinth, and at that time, it was the most fruitful of any places he had been. The church was growing. It not, was not without its problems, as you can clearly see by reading the letters to the Corinthian church. But Paul was in Corinth, and yet he was not called to pastor those churches that he started. Something in him, the grace of God that compelled him. Another way Paul would say it is, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. In other words, he realized, I have to. I have to follow this call in my life. But leaving Corinth was not easy. And I think we get a bit of a picture of that later in Paul's life when he was now called to leave Ephesus. And, and, and in Acts chapter 20, when you have that great leadership teaching as he called the elder, elders together from all of the churches and, and, and ministries that had grown around Ephesus. And he called them all together for that final meeting. He said, and he believed he would never see them in the face again, to face to face again. And so they held, the Bible said, fell on each other's neck weeping. Well, you know what that really looks like, right? These are people that love each other, that think we, may, we will never see each other again on this side of heaven. And Paul's brokenhearted. They're brokenhearted. But he left anyway because he was subjugated by the grace of God. The pool of those relationships, the pool of a great move of God in Ephesus, which we know started with 12 men in Acts chapter 19, but ended in several years with somewhere around 25,000. That's a, that's a pretty great move of God, and yet he had to leave it. But let me take you back to Corinth. So here's what Paul actually had to do. He had to peel himself away from people that he was willing to give his life for, that he had given his life for, that he had been persecuted to love and to serve. And as that grace compelled him, he was subjugated by it. And he left Corinth, and he traveled to the port city of Centuria. And remember, it wasn't like he got an Uber. This was not just a couple miles down the road. This was collecting whatever belongings you could keep, carrying them with you, either with some kind of donkey or without, and walking all the way to Centuria, all the way on that trip as long as it took, 
Of course, there were no motels. There were no hotels. His life would be in peril. That's where he talks about his persecution, perils among robbers and thieves. And so he makes the trip to Centuria all the while, knowing that his heart is still attached to Corinth. And when he gets to Centuria, he boards some type of vessel to go across the Aegean Sea, and he goes to the port city of Ephesus. And when he arrives in Ephesus, he doesn't know anybody. And you know from reading the scripture, when he got to Ephesus, he found 12 men that he thought were Christians and found out they had only been baptized under John. And yet, Paul leads them to Christ. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit and, and, and says that they spoke with other tongues. And this wonderful move of God happens with 12 people. And yet, three and a half years later, it had grown to 25,000. Out of Ephesus grew these different churches that you find many of these listed in the book of Revelation. You have Smyrna and Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and then also Miletus and Colossae. All of these churches were born out of that move of God from Ephesus. So here's a question. What if Paul had stayed in Corinth? You see, because Acts 19 says, verse 10, that this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Think of that kind of move of God that happened out of Ephesus so that in Asia Minor, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in that province had heard the word of God. It literally had blanketed the earth where he was. But what if he had stayed in Corinth? What if you stay in the Corinths of your life? What if you stay in the places that are there and they're predictable? Because the fact of it is, the call and the grace upon our lives demands that we abandon the present to embrace our grace, which will take us to our tomorrow. All of us will be tempted to remain in the Corinths, even when it's troubled. Even though Corinth was, was a troubled church and they had their issues, as all churches do, we, we, Paul chose to leave the predictability that he had in Corinth to the unknown and the uncertainty that was in front of him by the grace of God. Andy Stanley, in, in his book for Next Generation Leaders, talks about the difference between being uncertain and, being, and having clarity. He said all leaders have to live with constant uncertainty, but what we should never lack is clarity. Though Paul had complete clarity of the call upon his life, Every step he took was uncertain. Leaders, this is so important, leaders must learn to live with uncertainty. Let me say that again. Leaders must learn to live with uncertainty because that uncertainty is attached to your weakness, to what you don't know, to what you can't see. Yet leaders cannot live without clarity. You have to know where you're headed and you have to know that the only way forward has, can be empowered by the grace of God. So often we choose predictable mediocrity over the risk of the abandonment to the grace of God. We even forfeit great measures of power that, is, that literally grows out of that grace on our life if we remain in Corinth. You know, in my life, as I've watched God's grace unfold, I've probably made as more or as many or probably more mistakes than anybody I know but I found something to be true. 
when I am stepping into the uncertainty of the next step, and even though you have this, in my heart, this clarity, God, I know this is what we're called to do, but the uncertainty can be overwhelming. And I don't know if this has happened to you. I can tell you it's happened to me again and again, and recently happened to me again. The, the, the certainty of where we were as a church was so much more comfortable to me than stepping into the next phase of my ministry. It took God moving. It took a wife praying. It took her sharing with me what was, she knew what was in her heart and in my heart to where sometime early last year, I began to yield again to the grace of God to take these next steps. And these words are now coming out of my mouth. And let me tell you, they are totally uncertain. They're, I have clarity, but let me tell you, it's total uncertainty. We have about 3,500 people that come to Victory on a weekend. But I know what God's called us to do in a, being a regional church is to have nine to 10,000 in weekend attendance. Now, you may be sitting in a, in a situation where you have 40 people or 70 people, and you may say, well, that number seems absurd to me. I understand that. But for you for, to get to 70 to 300 may feel impossible. But let me tell you, getting from where we are today to virtually tripling, it feels impossible to me. It's totally uncertain. But I know it's what God's called us to do. Not, not for the sake of some number, but for the sake of the people that we will reach, the lives that will be changed. Starting the school of ministry is something that had been in my heart for years that I talked to you about in the beginning of the podcast. I believe that we will have five, six, seven hundred students as this ministry school grows, and a culture will be created, and the next generation of leaders will be empowered to go take a word from God or go support someone who has some, a word from God and go build great churches in the Northeast. I know that we are called to help plant 120 churches in the Northeast. We are right now looking at a map, praying over which would be the, the hub cities from which the other churches would grow out of. All of these things are uncertain. All of them. I, have, I don't have the first idea as to how all of these things will come to pass. Right now, we have a couple thousand people or so in small groups. I believe God's called us as a church to have nine to 10,000 in weekend attendance with 12,000 people in small groups. How are we going to get there? Well, there are some practical things we can do. But can I tell you, apart from the grace of God, everything I just told you is impossible. Everything. And, and there, if you're listening to this and you're a part of the initiative that, that we have in our heart to help 300 churches in the Northeast to multiply, to be able to grow, that is 300 existing churches to serve, to be able to empower those leaders to overcome barriers, We've been stepping into that, but I know that God wants to even enhance that. All of these things are uncertain to me, every last one of them, as everything God's called you to do likely has a lot of uncertainty attached to it. But can I encourage you today as we wind this down? Pray a simple prayer every day. Lord, I choose to be subjugated, to be dominated by the grace in my life. 1 Peter 4.10 says it this way. Each one of us has received a gift. Minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold or many-sided grace of God. God's grace is many-sided. That means there are parts and pieces for all of us. 
But it also says we are to be good stewards of that grace, which means, in a sense, we own it. And what we do with that grace is not up to God. It's up to us. Because every one of us, every one of you that lead, whether it be in ministry or in the marketplace, have a leadership grace. And you're going to have to determine what God's grace is leading you to do forward. It's grace to move on in your life. It's grace to move beyond the present. It's grace sometimes to stay in the hard times. But ultimately, it's a grace to grow God's kingdom. Never, as I close, ever compare your calling grace to another. Ever. When you hear what I believe we're called to do, don't compare that to where you are and what you're called to do. Because our callings are unique, but we are all called the same in God. In fact, we labor together with Christ. And the fact of it is, Paul said, Apollos and, and Paul, they're nothing. But the laborers really are one. But it's God who's everything, who gives the increase. So I hope today's been a help to you. I hope if you have some students or that you believe, or young people, that you believe have a vocational call of ministry, that you'll encourage them to check out the Waymaker School of Ministry. God bless you, and I look forward to our next time together. Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast.